Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsored Studios, this is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM Moody Radio. You know, I had a friend that I was pretty surprised when she told me that her and her husband alternate going to church. They switch Sundays. She'll go. Her husband will stay home. The next week, it's his turn to go. The reason why their son, they had three kids, a, a daughter and then twin boys, one of whom has some had some pretty significant special needs. Yeah. And church wasn't wasn't a place where he could really be. The mm. stimulation, the environment, it was just too much for too him. Too much, yeah. So they determined that we can't all go as a family because someone needs to stay back. Yeah. And so they would just alternate. And this is what this is how they had to do church. Never as a family, but just with a couple at a time yeah. so that their son could be home. And you think about that, and I I wonder how many families with either a special needs child or another family member with a disability have to make those kind of adjustments because church of all places isn't a space where they can really be. Yeah. It was it's a it hard was, thing to think about. Yeah, it was and I thought, "Man." And and so she she told me that that quite often they can't go places as as a family. Yeah. Restaurants are sometimes a lot for him and is there a way that as churches we can do more? Are we doing everything that we can to make everybody, not just welcome, not just we want you here and we love you, but to really feel that in practical ways where some thought, some intention has been put into how can we make every kid be able to engage to whatever degree that they can? Coming up, I want you to hear this conversation with us. His name is John Feligeller. He has been in a similar boat as my friend. He's got a son who has special needs, and they've had to leave a couple different churches, not because they didn't like the people or because the doctrine was problematic, but for similar reasons, that they just didn't feel like it was a space where he could be and thrive. Johnny and Friends is an incredible ministry started by Johnny Erickson Tata, who's a I don't calling her a friend of Moody. She like she kind of is Moody in a lot of ways. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> She's a mainstay here. So I want to feature this ministry. If you are involved in ministry at your church, I want you in particular to be listening or send a quick text if that's someone you know. How can we make our church, our spaces, not just our kids' spaces, but the adult spaces as well, more welcoming for families with a disability? That's coming up here on Carl and Crew Mornings. Learning to follow Jesus each and every day. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. When your perspective on children's ministry moves from babysitting to equipping, it changes everything with the scope and the intensity, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And if you've ever served in children's ministry, and I've yeah. done that myself, it helps to have an objective that's beyond just let's keep them safe, which is a great Great to keep them safe, but what else are we going to pour into them? Yeah, while they're here? if you got a mission statement for your kids, keep them safe and quiet. That's we got to do something more beyond that. Johnny Erickson Tata, Johnny and Friends, is committed to expanding the scope of ministry beyond just children's ministry, but caring for special needs kids. And I think we underestimate sometimes 
how many kids are out there today who fall into that special needs category and need some special care. So we've got a special guest with us right now who's the Ministry Relations Director or Manager at Johnny and Friends Chicago, uh, John Fellageller. You are passionate about helping churches really create or expand disability ministries. Give us your heart behind why this is so important to you. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. So I, I always start out these conversations by saying, first of all, I am the parent of a child with a disability. My wonderful son, Chris, who's 15 and is on the autism spectrum and nonverbal. And here's the thing that I always highlight in these conversations. My son is 15 and has been to five different churches in his life. Now, if you average that out, that's like a new church every three years. Mm. Now, that's better than not having a church at all. And we love our current church up in the North Burbs Village Church of Gurney. Shout out to our Pastor David, who sometimes do the, yeah. does the prayer minutes during the day on Moody for our, our regular listeners. But um, the reality is, is that that's still too many churches in one lifetime. And there are so many families we serve here locally in the Chicago area and in our surrounding states where they don't have a church home. They don't have a church that they partner with because either the church doesn't feel like they can support it, the church doesn't feel equipped, or in many cases, unfortunately, churches close the door in these families' faces, and it's not okay. And as I also like to say, churches don't just have an opportunity yeah. to minister to these families. They have an obligation, and that's really what Johnny and Friends is based on, the Luke 14 mandate, the uh, parable of the rich man who threw a party and nobody came. What did he do? Go out into the streets and the alleyways and essentially bring in the disabled. Yeah. So my table may be full. Uh, this is a much broader ministry opportunity. I'm going to stick with the word opportunity because I think it's the great joy. And that's the promise that Jesus gives in that very parable. Far more kids with disabilities than we might imagine. Right, John? Absolutely. And you know what, Carl, what I also like to highlight here is that it's not only a growing population in terms of number, it's growing up. And so when we also think of disability ministry in churches, a lot of times the issue becomes it's normally thought of as kind of like a Band-Aid approach in like a kid's ministry or a Sunday school. We have a couple of kids maybe with autism or maybe some other developmental thing. Let's just get them a buddy or help them out and that's it. Well, the issue is that's fine for a season or two. What happens when they grow up? What happens when they become teenagers like my son or young adults or adults, right? You know, can churches still wrap their arms around them and still foster a sense of community, which is really needed, especially as they get older, right? Yeah. And that's really what we also want to harp on as well. It's not just something for a season. It's literally for an entire lifetime. So what are the primary things that are often missing when it comes to a church being not just accommodating, but welcoming to a family that has a family member with a disability? At Johnny and Friends, we often talk about this kind of dynamic called siloing, and here's what that means. A church may have a disability ministry, they may have a classroom, they may have an environment, but usually it, it becomes this uh, type of, a, of a, a arrangement where it's that room down the hall, down the steps, tucked away. No one knows it's there, nobody knows you offer it, and you know it's like they're not even part of the church. And that's also where we want to highlight there's a difference between just inclusion, meaning that, okay, you have a place, and belonging or acceptance, meaning the, the DNA of the church is really kind of programmed with this, right? So how are we embracing this community as a whole? It, it's not just a classroom. That's the other thing I stress. It's not just a classroom. It's not just a sensory room or uh, some other program you have. How are they engaging in the life of the church, right? And not only how are they being served, but likewise, how else are they serving? Are there opportunities for them to serve, especially as they get older, right? Because that's where the church comes around, these families and these individuals. It's not just a burden on us. Yeah. It's a part of us and it's 
It's beautiful and it's glorified and we honor it well. John Feligeller is with us right now coming up here. John, I want you to give us a quick start guide. There's a lot of people in children's ministries, pastors, a lot of people that go, how do we get this going? So from scratch, how do we get this going? And we're also going to give you a link so that you can get some coaching and mentoring along the lines from John and others that are in Johnny and Friends. We'll give you all those details coming up. Need a wake-up call? We can help with that. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. So you want to minister to kids. What about kids with special needs, disabilities of all kinds? Yeah, and of all ages. What about adults? Yeah. Boy, have we got a treat for you. John Feligeller is with us here right now. He is Ministry Relations Manager at Johnny and Friends Chicago. And you have got a passion for this. But what I want to do is start from scratch. How do you get started in this, John? Because maybe some pastors, some children's ministry workers are listening going, yeah, we want to be more prepared. Their hearts are right. I think most people want to be. Some have fear. Some wonder about resources. Give us a quick start guide. So it all begins with a conversation, right? What what I do when I talk to churches and especially church leaders, I say, let's just sit down virtually in person, cup of coffee and tell me about your church. You know, we, we don't even have to hit the disability ministry right away. Let's talk about your church. Let's talk about the community, the congregation, the environment. What does it look like? What are you working with? And where do you want to get to? You know, one thing that I think a lot of churches are hesitant with working with us is because we are a big global ministry. And some churches are a little bit put off. Like, you know, we don't want someone coming in our doors telling us what to do, et cetera. But I, I really encourage them to say, listen, whatever you're working with, that's where we'll start. And that's where we'll get you to. There is no expectation that you have to have, you know, all of this extra space or all of these extra resources in terms of time, money, volunteers. That's good. We'll work with what you have because you don't have to be what the mega church down the street or the next town is or is doing. We want to form it around you. And, and as I joke with these pastors as well, Carl, I say, you know, the two best things about working with us. Everything we do is free and everything we do is free, right? Because we're, we're a pure ministry. We're a pure ministry. You know, we, we, of course, you know, we work on donations like, like many ministries do, but there's no expectation with that. So invite us in and just let's have a talk That's and awesome. let's see where it's at. Paint a picture for us. Of, you mentioned you've been to five different churches. You have a son with special needs and four out of the five weren't able to really meet those needs. What does it look like when this is really done well? When it's done well, and I'm going to go back and, and harp on that word community because it's not just, okay, there's, there's a buddy for my son. You know, for example, at, at Village Church, just to give you a couple examples. Yeah, they have a dedicated classroom. Yes, he's got a dedicated buddy, but they do things in the life of the church. For example, they have the folks sometimes once a month hand out like the little communion cups that all the churches are doing now post-COVID. They have the minister, maybe some of the other classrooms with some of the other, uh, you know, either kids' rooms or Sunday school stuff, that type of thing. You know, there are social events once a month, that, that type of a deal, respite events. So the idea here is that when it's done well, Yes, there's a structure. Yes, there there's support for those kids or, th- or for those individuals. But they're in the whoop and war for the church. They're involved in the church. Absolutely, absolutely, right. It, it's not it's not a separate but equal thing. Yeah, and and that's where people get caught up. It's we have a place for them, so we're doing the right thing. Well, you're starting to do the right thing, but it's a process, and it's a process over time. And sometimes it takes years, which is okay. And we really counsel churches on that too. But the idea is you start somewhere, and it doesn't have to be big at first, and and really it shouldn't be. It just should be a reflection of your heart opening up to these individuals and families and making sure that they know that they have a place. Give us a story of a church that went for it. They jumped in, they had nothing. You came in, coached them up and they're like, this is awesome. 
Yeah, believe it or not, I actually just had an email from someone a couple weeks ago, and it was a church that I worked down with in the Champaign area because our our office is regional, so we do work with all of Illinois and neighboring states and all that. This was a family that I actually met through the family retreats at Johnny and Friends House during the summer. It was their home church. I started talking to them in the summer of 22, and I, I made a visit to them earlier this year in like January. And what was cool about it is that they they had someone who was starting to lead it and put it together. But it was one of those things where, you know, it was all these fits and starts, which is typical, and that's okay. You do run into these, uh, you know, speed yeah. bumps, roadblocks, sure. that kind of stuff. But praise God, I got an email from this person a couple of weeks ago and said, wow, you know what? We've been working at this for six years, and now it's finally showing fruit. Like, wow. we're engaged. The, the church has embraced it. Even when I came out, the, the church was on board, but it was still a matter of how do we get it to where we need it to be? And they said, you know, you know, your resources, your support have really been, you know, a, a help to us as well. Because, again, you know, even though they did most of the legwork, the reality is, is that sometimes it's just a matter of me giving them the encouragement or maybe tweaking a little things or giving them a little extra resource. And again, those are the stories you want to hear. And again, we're not talking about six weeks or six days, six years. And that's fine. Because where they're at now is a place they've been wanting to get to for a long time, but now it's being done well, where it's an integral part of the community. And it's also, by the way, especially when I came out to meet with them personally, it's embraced by the leadership from the top yeah. down. It's key. And that's key, right? John is the Ministry Relations Manager at Johnny and Friends Chicago. Now, if you're a person listening and you are involved in a church and you think, man, I would like to get my church more support so we can make some steps. Maybe it's going to be six years until we see this come to fruition, but I'd sure like to get some help starting. Uh, just text the word FRIENDS. We'll get you connected with John and his team. Just text FRIENDS to 312 274 9624. Text friends 312-274-9624. John, this has been inspiring, actually. This has been thrilling. Thank you for being such a strategic resource to care for all people. Absolutely, brother. Thank you for having me. Text friends 312-274-9624. Making herself laugh no matter who joins her. It's time for Allie Thinks It's Funny. Okay, if you missed the start of this last week, we kicked it off. It's a little joke segment. That's right. Give you a little laugh, maybe a cringe. Please <laughs> something to tell your coworkers to break the ice. What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the utility closet? What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the utility closet? Supplies! <laughs> Thank Allie. you. Thank you. Allie. Yeah. These are the only laughs I can give that's you. Okay, that's I'm okay. That's okay. Sorry. You know, the audience is small today. <laughs> it's literally just it's, me. Here. It's just Jonathan. <laughs> so, no pressure. Yeah. But try to laugh. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm just kidding. Well, hit me with a really good one here. Okay. This one I like. Okay. I tried this one on my daughter last night. It got a little bit of a cringe, but I think she did at least find the humor in it. There's a go. chuckle. What kind of bear? is the most condescending. Hmm. There's a bear in particular who is really condescending. Which one? Oh, man. I can't ask questions. It's going to take the punchline away. So you ready? Okay, I'm ready. A panda. (laughs) (laughs) Allie. Allie. A panda. Got to say it with the. You know what it is? It's the delivery. It's the. I mean, it, duh, a panda. There you go. That's it. <laughs> oh my god. Did you laugh? 
Did you not? It's okay, because what? Allie thinks it's funny. There you have it. Two jokes. Two (laughs) more coming your way at 835. Should you care to listen again? (laughs) Text the word jokes. If you want to make your friends cry, cringe, or maybe chuckle, text the word jokes to 312-274-9624. Text the word jokes to 312-274-9624. I'll get the jokes right to your phone so you can have them. Jokes to 312-274-9624. A little fun here on this cool Wednesday morning. And yes, just me and Jonathan. So Jonathan felt the pressure a little bit. (laughs) No, the last one was a good one. I liked it. It was the delivery. If you said it just kind of deadpan. You can't say a panda. You got to say a panda. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) That was good. Your spiritual pit stop to keep you going in the race. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. So you want to live a blessed life. We've been looking at Matthew 5 this week. Uh, The Beatitudes, eight statements that all start with blessed are. They give us a good picture of kingdom living. If you were to just isolate just these eight statements and hand them to somebody who was maybe new in Christ, this gives you a really good foundation. There's a lot yeah. here yeah. in these blessed are statements. I want to just kind of retrace where we've been. I'm going to read a little bit of Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is what? Is to be humble, to say a sense of humility, to say, I have nothing I can't do anything to earn my way to God. It's all him. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The mourning here, not so much mourning a personal loss, although there's comfort available for that too, but this is specifically mourning our own sin, the fallenness of the world that we live in. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You remember this one from yesterday, Jonathan? The meek, not a personality type, but a... It is someone who waits on the Lord. Waiting on God to act on your behalf, not being so quick to try to defend yourself, but really trusting God, holding back maybe when you want to jump forward. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This hunger and thirst for right standing with God, knowing that nothing else is going to satisfy Then verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This one's fairly straightforward, but to really get a good picture of this, I want to take you to another passage of Scripture because Scripture interprets Scripture. This is in Matthew 18. It's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And I'll quickly tell you the story. There's a guy who has a pretty big debt that he owes. He's a servant, and he owes his master 10,000 talents. Now, a talent, one single talent, was worth about 20 years of wages. Oh, wow. For one talent. He owed 10,000 talents. That's a lot. So 10,000 talents, if one is would take you 20 years, you can do the math. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can't do it up that high. I can't do it <laughs> in my head, but 20 times 10,000? It's 200,000 years. This was more than a lifetime's worth of debt. He could not pay it. So the master did something pretty cool. First, the servant falls on his knees and he says, have patience with me. I'm going to pay you everything, everything I owe. Of course he can't. But the master has pity on him. 
And he says, you know what? I'm going to forgive the debt. I'm going to release you. Can you imagine being forgiven, released of a debt like that? Not in the slightest, but <laughs> I, the, the relief and the joy. The relief. You go, I, I, was gonna be, I was going to forever be indebted to this person with a debt that I could not pay in two lifetimes, three yeah. lifetimes. Yeah. Pretty big deal. Then the servant does something surprising. So he goes out, and there's another guy, another servant, who owes him a hundred denarii. It's about a day's worth of wages, this guy. Mm. This other guy owes him. He takes him, he chokes him, and he says, pay me what you owe me. This same guy who just had 200,000 years worth of debt forgiven goes to his fellow servant who owes him one day's wage and says, pay me what you owe him, what you owe me rather. So the guy does the same thing that he just did. He, He gets down and he pleads with them. Have patience with me. I'll repay you. That servant, nope. He hasn't put in prison until he can pay off the debt. As you might imagine, there's a great irony here, right? The fellow servants, the other servants, they see what's taken place and they're disturbed by it. So they report back to the master. Look at what this guy just did. He had his fellow servant thrown in prison for a day's wages that he owed him. So this is what his master says to him. He summons him. He says to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Then Matthew 18, 33. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? That's out of Matthew 18. So let's go back to Matthew 5 again. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is more than just, I'm nice to people because I'm a nice person. When you understand the mercy that's been shown to you, when you rightly understand it, you can't help but to be merciful to others. That servant who was forgiven that much debt and then turned around and refused to do a much lesser form of, (laughs) much lesser was even being asked of him. Mm -hmm. But he couldn't do it. Yeah. And that's such a graphic illustration of this because you think, how in the world? How would you not show mercy when you just had all that forgiven? But when you look at your own life and you think of all of the mercy that God's extended to you, A God whose mercy is new every morning. Every morning when you wake up, fresh mercy is available to you that all you have to do is take hold of it. And yet we are so prone to withholding mercy from other people. We do the same. We do it all the time. That mercy is kind of, it's a mix of compassion and forgiveness. And every day we have opportunities where we're either going to try to exact justice or, or whatever our form of justice looks like or to extend mercy. What are we going to choose? What am I going to choose? God's mercy extended to us should make us merciful to other people. Why? Because our mercy mirrors the Father. So I think a good exercise is to really spend some time reflecting 
on the mercy that you've been shown. Because if you're in Christ, you've been shown so much more mercy than you could ever even imagine. Yeah. In the same way that that servant had more debt that he could than he could ever even pay off, that's us. We are that servant who's been given forgiveness and mercy extended beyond what we could even imagine. So we are called to be people who are merciful. And there's a blessing that follows. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Boom Crew, celebrate what God is doing in you. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. If you've noticed something, most people noticed what's on the outside first. It's kind of human nature, right? Before you ever get to know somebody, what they're like, what they're passionate about, their personality, usually you notice what's on the outside first. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You make subconsciously often judgments about somebody's appearance, what type of clothes that they wear, and not even in a judgy, mean sort of way. Just you notice their face. You notice their features. You notice their clothes sometimes my my son is funny because he always notices people's shoes. Some people notice shoes first. Huh. Some people look at hairstyle. Uh, you might look at body type. All of these different things that we notice about the exterior of a person. And that's okay. Quick side note. was thinking about this. This is just, you know, random thoughts that come in your mind. You know, all of us, most, the vast majority of the population throughout the whole world has the same set of features on our face. Yeah. Two eyes, one nose, lips, eyebrows, Mm -hmm. and they're all in relatively the same spot. Yeah. Like you you don't typically see an eye on a chin or a (laughs) mouth on a forehead. Like, I mean, I know that this is random. No, but you're right. Two ears, all the same. We're all working with the same kind of basic structure. But yet, billions of people in the world, you would be able to spot your wife. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, and like, how is that? How is it possible that there are that many unique variations? Yeah, out of the 8 billion people that are in the world, I know <laughs> who is my wife at all times. And, and then to even take us, you could meet a stranger yeah. once or twice. And then be able to remember their face, their Absolutely. specific arrangement. It's a very interesting thing. I, that it, No real takeaway other than that. I think it's just fascinating how God designed it, yeah. where there's that many variations that people can look different enough that mm-hmm. you could pick them out immediately. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like a deck of cards almost where, you know, there's 52 cards, but the amount of arrangements that they can be ordered in is almost unlimited it's it feels unlimited and it's it's the same type of thing yeah there's there are very limited amounts of things to work with on a person's face not a lot of variation no but skin color difference a little bit some structure maybe slimmer or wider eyes maybe higher set or but everybody's working with the same stuff and yet we're so unique absolutely side note now I'm back on topic. <laughs> so yes, it is human nature to notice the outside stuff. But that's not the stuff that matters most to God. Back to the Beatitudes coming up. 
giving hope directly from the source. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. Having a kick out of talking about this whole, how we're all so unique, but yet so similar. Oh, yeah. Two eyes, a nose, a mouth, a couple of ears, skin tones that vary often just slightly. Yeah. And it's so weird. I mean, kind of bringing it back to the perceptions of people. There are so many similarities between us, but it's within our sin nature to pick out what's different and decide what's better and what's worse. Yeah. It's a very, very odd thing. That's probably something that I'm sure psychologists and sociologists study that kind of thing. But as we move into this next beatitude, I, 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 Talk about the outer appearance because that's what we fixate on. But Matthew 5, verse ah, verse 8, Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity of heart is actually something that you see repeated a lot in Scripture. As I started to look at this, I want to contrast it with, with 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at on his appearance or on the height, his, the height of his stature because I have rejected him. This is when David ultimately gets picked, not his brothers, yeah. even though the one brother really looked, looked the part of king. Yeah. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I think the thing that makes me most grateful for us, for my savior is this kind of verse, because you can do a lot of things to fix up your appearance. I mean, you can try to, you can do plastic surgery to change your appearance. You can change your hair color. You can lose or gain weight. You can wear certain types of clothes to kind of change how you look. You can change how you talk. You can change all kind of things. But there's not a single person that I've ever met who could change their own heart. You can't do it. Yeah. Those, that inner stuff, the stuff that nobody sees, the thoughts, the motives, the temptations, all those different things that happen on the inside. For me... That's the thing that makes the gospel most compelling is mm. because the gospel of Jesus Christ deals with the heart. Yeah. I'm powerless to change my heart. So when you read a verse like this, that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, it reminds you of how much we need Jesus. I can't give myself a pure heart, but a pure heart is so vital Mm-hmm. It's vital to seeing God. It's vital, vital to walking closely with him. I want to read a couple of other references where you'll hear this same language. This is out of Psalm 24, 3 through 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Young Thunder, I'm hitting you cold with this. I'll read it one more time. But what do you see in this passage? What would you pull out that relates to a pure heart? Mm -hmm. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. What stands out to you about this as it pertains to having a pure heart? Well, I think it's, 
it's talking about idolatry. Mm -hmm. Those who lift their hearts up to, I'm going to paraphrase here, lift up their hearts to someone who's not Jesus. Sure. Uh, And so a pure heart is someone who is fully committed to God saying, I will not turn away from you. I will not choose someone or something else instead of you. Yeah. I'm going to read another one to you. Second Timothy two 22 says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. A couple things about this purity of heart. I'll keep going back to, it's not possible for you to make your own heart pure. That is a work of the Lord, but purity of heart, is a pursuit of purity and uprightness in every area of life, one commentator says. It also, a lot of these these two that we've tackled today deal with how we relate to other people. We talked about being merciful, uh, pure in heart. Tomorrow we'll tackle peacemakers. These are social relationships, how we relate to others. So this purity of heart also has to do with being honest in our dealings with others, uh, having sincerity of motives, pursuing that uprightness in every area, regardless of what other people can see or not see. I heard this quote one time out of a book. I don't remember the title of the book. I don't remember a single other thing about the book. (laughs) I read it in a small group, but I remember this statement. The author said, who you are at home is who you are. Hmm. It's like, whoa. It's a good one. Who you are at home is who you are, who you are when your guard is down, when you're not performing for anybody, when nobody's watching, you know, your family's there, but your family really knows you. Your family really knows you. Who you are at home is who you are. I think about that here because that purity of heart speaks to the home, what's going on under the surface when you're not, it's not a Sunday you're not putting on your best clothes. You're not yeah. putting your best foot forward for anybody. Who you are at home is who you are. So how do you, this can feel overwhelming because you think, man, I know what goes on in my mind. My thoughts sometimes are crazy. Sure. Sometimes my motives are, are off. I just, I told my husband <laughs> recently, I was like, you know, I volunteered to do this thing and it kind of looks great, but I, my motives were off in volunteering to do it. Mm. <laughs> he kind of laughed at me. He said, I don't know anyone who examines their motives more than you do. <laughs> Sometimes it's, I obsess over it, but I was aware that I volunteered to do something that needed to be done, yeah. but my heart was kind of like impure in it. Sure. My motives were off. It wasn't really about, I'm going to be real honest. It wasn't so much about the serving. There was part of me that was like, yes, they need me. Mm. My skills and talents are needed here. Yeah. Let me swoop in and save the day. I didn't say that out loud. Sure. But like, what do you do with those kind of motives? Like I didn't, I didn't calculate it. Like, okay, today I'm going to have questionable motives as I sign up to do this awesome thing. Mm -hmm. Put my name on it. Like, no, (laughs) it it, it just, it's sort of this automatic reflexive where our default is to have motives sometimes that are off to not deal so honestly with others, to kind of look to protect ourselves, to kind of project what we want people to see. But blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Young Thunder, I'm going to ask you to pray for us. Okay. 
all of us, you, me, collective boom crew, that we would have pure hearts. We can't make our hearts pure, mm-hmm. but Jesus can. Will you pray? I will. Lord, I come to you asking that even as I pray this prayer, that you would help me to have a pure heart. Lord, we all need you. We need checks on our behavior, on our motives, on our thought life. God, we cannot have a pure heart without your Holy Spirit intervening in our lives. And so, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would intervene across the lives of your followers in Chicagoland and those listening all around the world here today. God, we want to be more like you. We want to be close to you. We do not want to do things that exhibit the opposite of who you are. Yeah. And so, God, I ask that you would intervene today. Lord, if there's people out there right now about to make a decision or do something that is counter to you, Lord, I pray that you would intervene. Lord, all of us are going to be met with fork in the road decisions later today where we can choose to sin or to not sin. And Lord, I pray that you would intervene in those moments. Speak to us, minister to us. Help us come to you, Lord. Make us pure of heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Whew, good word today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Whether it's number one or 100, take that step with Jesus today. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. So if I struggle to obey God, if I feel this battle of the flesh, does this mean I'm not pure in heart? So. Great question. I summarized it a bit, but I think it's a really good one. And I want to take you to another passage of scripture because this is, we never want to put forth any sort of message that makes it seem like that you're trying harder is the solution. Is being, is having purity of heart even possible in, in your strength or mine? Not at all. Not at all. Our nature of sin means from the jump, purity of heart is like the opposite No, when we are in Christ and we are redeemed, our desires are renewed, our passions are redeemed, but we will still struggle in this body. We will still struggle with sin. Now, in Christ, we can walk in increasing measures of victory, but that struggle will remain. I want to take you to Psalm 51. This, the context of this, this was uh, King David after he sinned with Bathsheba and was confronted in his sin. And recognized the depravity of what he had done. Yeah. Uh, and I think this kind of answers your question. This is Psalm 51, 10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We have to ask God to renew a right spirit, and only he can create a clean heart. Now, this was David asking that for again, because David was with God, and yeah. then saying he stumbled is a is a real understatement for, for how 
deep the transgression was. But his response, we can mirror that response in what feels like the big stuff or the little stuff. I'm giving those categories. I don't think that that's not necessarily God's words, but sometimes it feels like, oh, this is a big one. Yeah. It feels like, oh, this is a, don't, don't worry about the, the degree to which you think you have transgressed. Created me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's how you ensure that you are walking in purity of heart, that you are pure, pure of heart, that you go back to God and ask him to clean you and to renew a right spirit when you are aware of your sin, when you are aware that you've missed it. Yeah. What will keep you from walking in purity of heart? Walking in persistent sin, where God has shown you that this is sin and you are continuing, that will keep you from walking in purity of heart. Yeah. Is that clear? I think so. Okay. Making herself laugh no matter who joins her. It's time for Allie Thinks It's Funny. Why am I nervous? I don't Probably know. Probably because Jonathan didn't really laugh much the last time around. Sorry. But I've reloaded. I am trying, just so you know. It's I'm okay. not trying to be it's a, it's like okay. a sour face about it. I know you really don't like... Puns. You don't like puns. You don't Not like much. jokes. And today you're the only one in the audience, in the studio, which audience. makes it much harder for you. And I am sorry about that. It's okay. We got. <laughs> do you have the laugh track? I ready? do. Laugh track is All ready. All right. First up, what kind of bug can tell time? Hmm. What kind of bug can tell perfect time? And none other than the clockroach. The clockroach. Allie. <laughs> Allie. Okay. Okay. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> that was better than the joke. What? You pointing at nobody and saying thank you. Okay. I gotta, I gotta get into character was, for this. I don't just walk good. around in regular life telling jokes. I well, liked that though. Sometimes I do. Sometimes yes, you do. I do. Okay, joke number two. Why should you avoid playing Monopoly at the zoo? Why should you really avoid playing Monopoly? At the zoo. Allie, why should you really avoid <laughs> playing Monopoly? Way too many cheetahs! <laughs> Allie. <laughs> I like that one. That was good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not, am I pointing again? Yeah, not that time. That Text the word jokes if you want today's jokes. I even included the one from 635. I will not tell those again. <laughs> But they're there if you want them. Text the word jokes to 312-274-9624. Text the word jokes to 312-274-9624. Just hope we get a little bit of a smile here Man. on a Wednesday. And even if she doesn't, Allie still thinks it's funny. I do. I do. I really enjoy my own jokes. Text the word jokes if you want them too. Make somebody smile today or cringe Tell your grandkids jokes to 312-274-9624. Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this show cast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew. As we help you take your next step with Jesus, you're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. Godspeed.